Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, February 21st, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Red Omen. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. I am also here. Yes, uh, we we have a couple news items today, mostly TV. Let's jump into it. Uh, we've been talking about a possible Halo TV series, I think, since I started Slash Film, uh, you know, over a decade ago. There's been so many great filmmakers that were almost going to make this as a movie or TV series, and we finally nailed down a director. You know, it, it Chris, is it of the same quality as like Steven Spielberg, Guillermo del Toro, Neil Blomkamp. Uh, yes, absolutely. It's the same guy who directed the new Robin Hood. And I think he's in the same league as those names you just mentioned. Uh, Otto Bathurst is his name. And he he's directed um, episodes of Black Mirror and Peaky Blinders. He's also directing the new TV adaptation of His Dark Materials. And now he's directing Halo for Showtime. He's going to direct several episodes and be the executive producer. And of course, I'm being facetious. He's not actually in the same league as those other directors. But 
I guess someone up there likes him because Robin Hood did not do well at the box office, but he keeps getting high-profile gigs, so he must have something that producers like. Yeah, you'd think that, you know, Steven Spielberg's still attached as producer on this too, right? Uh, yeah, Amblin is still producing it, yes. You, you I mean, think... I, I, I doubt Steven Spielberg is going to be very hands-on, but yeah. Yeah, but you'd think, uh, like, Steven could call some people and get a bigger name than the guy that did that recent Robin Hood movie. <laughs> Maybe he's maybe they're trying to keep the budget down and he probably would be cheaper than someone with a bigger name. That's my guess, but I could be wrong. Well, that is true. We had heard rumors that the budget was kind of ballooning out of control. Uh, Jacob, I know you're a fan of the Halo video game series. At least the first couple of them back in the day when they were new and they were like the thing everybody was playing. I played countless hours of these games and this news is really dispiriting because I, I feel like even when Rupert Wyatt was attached to do this, I think last year before he dropped out, and he, he did you know Rise of Planet of the Apes and the upcoming Captive State. It may not be as big of a like household name as some of the others, but like he was still a director who who had, he has very commanding uh, presence on screen. Like you can feel his voice, and this feels this feels like a very safe, strange, and as implied earlier, cheap choice for a show that's rumored to have extreme budgetary issues behind the scenes. And Chris and I talked about this uh, online, and uh, I think you put this in the article even, but I think the, the window for Halo, it's like it's passed. I mean, <laughs> B- Bungie, they made the first three games in the trilogy and two spinoff games, and then they left, and they're doing Destiny now, which is its own barrel of worms. But Microsoft still makes their own in-house Halo games now, but they're like in, in the era of Call of Duty and Fortnite, they're just kind of, they're no longer the gargantuan, like, events they used to be there's you know another in a long line of shooters and they're the shooters your dad plays and instead of the shooters that everybody's playing and it makes me feel old but it's also the truth and i'm wondering if the series or the or a movie even made 10 12 years ago back when halo 3 was the biggest thing ever back when people still did you know massive land parties for like hooking up three tvs and three xboxes and dorm rooms to play halo I mean, those were the those are the days when Halo would have been the blockbuster. I feel like this is all too little, too late, and this director is just, you know, adding more uh, dirt on top of the grave. Like, there's nothing exciting here. Yeah, and it's not even HBO; it's Showtime. Uh, <laughs> not, not not to disparage Showtime because they had that wonderful uh, Escape at Demora and uh, some other series, Homeland. You know, they they have good shows, but usually the budgets for the shows are lesser than and can be felt very heavily uh compared to like you know hbo so i don't know uh we'll, we'll have to see what comes of this I, I'm, I'm very much less excited about this since there isn't like any big names involved let's move on to another tv show adaptation let's talk about the wizard of oz there's a tv series in the works uh from legendary brad what do we know Yes, Legendary Entertainment uh, has hired Now You See Me and Jessica Jones writer Ed Reichort to write and produ- uh, produce a series um, based on the many varying books uh, based in, in the land of Oz by L. Frank Baum. And uh, unlike most of the other adaptations of uh, The Wizard of Oz that we've seen in comics and animated series, TV shows, movie sequels, all that thing, uh, this will focus on characters and settings that we actually haven't seen on the uh, screen before. So there are, uh, in addition to the story of the Wizard of Oz that everyone is familiar with, there are 13 other books 
that L. Frank Baum wrote that take place in the Land of Oz, and they introduce a bunch of new characters that we haven't seen before, and that's exactly what they want to do. There's a, a brief logline that they offer that says, uh, when the return of a long-exiled witch brings fear, division, and war to Oz, the only hope is a servant girl who may become the most powerful and dangerous woman in the land. So it sounds like a pretty basic cookie-cutter start for a, uh, a fantasy series. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. This, the world that L. Frank Baum created is, is interesting enough in, um, as a classic you know, piece of fantasy. But I just, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if this is something that I'm particularly interested in. Uh, anyone, any of you guys feel like this is something that could turn out well? I love the world of Oz. I mean, those books are so much bigger and more grand than the original movie was. The movie's a classic, but it's not really a great adaptation of what's on the page. It's very much more of a, you know, epic fantasy with lighthearted touches. Uh, but I'm just not convinced that people know how to tackle that kind of fantasy in an age of Game of Thrones. I'm just thinking of NBC's Emerald City from a few years ago, which oh, tried yeah. to Game of Thronesify. Oz, and I'm very, very worried that they'll skip over Bomb and try to, you know, go for HBO instead or go for that kind of tone. I would, I would love nothing more than a great, like, st- series set in the world of Oz. There's so much magic there, like magic in the capital M sense. Like, um, it, it's such an untapped world full of wonder, and I'm just not convinced that Hollywood understands how to do that just yet. I, think, I mean, the guy did right now. You see me, so he knows a thing or two about magic. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I I do think there was an animated series from Warner Brothers a couple of years ago that people said was good. I never saw it. Um, of course, there's the Sam Raimi movie for Disney that probably we've all forgotten about at this point. That also took some inspiration from those other books, like it involved that uh, the China Doll Girl. I think is in one of the other Oz books. Um, I it, it, the thing about Wizard of Oz is it's one of those classics that still like holds value in a lot of people. Like almost every, and, and not not to, not to make a broad generalized statement, but I'm going to. Uh, almost every woman I know loves the Wizard of Oz. Uh, that and uh, Phantom of the Opera and like. Brad, I know you collect wall, uh, Hallmark ornaments. Every year, there is like five new Wizard of Oz ornaments, and people are buying these things. So there's definitely there's, an yeah, appetite. There's, there's t- yeah, there's tons of Wizard of Oz uh, memorabilia out there, that new stuff all the time. But at the same time, they're not doing like Wizard of Oz. So, I mean, the you know the, the appeal isn't necessarily uh, the rest of Oz, but just that, that classic movie. <laughs> Yeah. What they need to do is look less to Game of Thrones' audience and look to Outlander's audience. The very passionate, female-driven crowds that love a more honest, straightforward, romantic fantasy world. And I, I think that's where they find their hit here. They can't chase Game of Thrones. they got to chase Outlander. Good point. Okay, let's move on to another TV show. This is The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, season 2 is in development, and we now know what it is going to be about. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, there had been rumors that uh, Netflix was interested in a second season, and at the time it seemed kind of unlikely because uh, the first season of Hill House wraps everything up pretty well, and it adapts one book, and so on and so forth. But now we know there is a second season, and rather than taking a traditional approach, uh, Mike Flanagan and Netflix, they're going to turn it into an anthology series, sort of similar to what AMC is doing with the terror. So each season is going to be a new story. And while the first season adapted uh, Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, 
season two will be adapting Henry James's The Turn of the Screw, which is a, another classic ghost story. It's been adapted into a film, into films a few times before. Um, the Innocence is probably the best example of this. It's a very spooky black and white horror movie. And this is really cool. I'm very excited about this. I loved uh, The Haunting of Hill House first season, and I, I really like Turn of the Screw. I think Mike Flanagan is very talented and I'm just going to assume because this is what the first season of Hill House did. It's going to take a lot of liberties with the book because Hill House only really took like names and certain ideas and then created its, its whole like new thing. And I'm guessing that's what they're going to do with this as well. If they're taking that many liberties, why do they even need something to adapt for the second season? I mean, you know, there's brand recognition, I guess, but I guess it's also like a framework because Hill House, it it borrowed ideas and framework stuff from uh, the book. And I'm guessing this is going to take that same sort of framework where um, uh, Turn of the Screw, it's about a governess who is hired to um, watch over two orphans and she becomes convinced, you know, the mansion she's watching them in is haunted and the kids can see them. But at the same time, the book is very ambiguous in that maybe there aren't really ghosts. Maybe she's just crazy. So I'm guessing they're going to use sort of that formula where there's a woman who thinks a house is haunted, but maybe she's nuts. That's what I'm guessing. They're going to use that as a springboard to create something new. Jacob, I know you were a huge fan of this first season. What do you think of this news? Yeah, the first season is phenomenal. Mike Flanagan is phenomenal. I love this idea. I have not read The Turn of the Screw, but I have seen The Innocence. And I feel like we have this uh, idea that older horror films aren't scary. They could be spooky or interesting, but The Innocence is scary. <laughs> it, is, it holds up as a genuinely unsettling ghost story, even though it's, oh my goodness, like 60 years old now. So it's, I'm very excited by this. And the idea of, what, actually what Flanagan did, and explain what Chris said, is he took what Shirley Jackson was doing with The Haunting of Hill House, and took that thematic core and built it out in ways that were that were more personal to him or personal to his writing staff and transformed those ideas into something that was passionate and personal to him as a storyteller. So I like the, I like the idea of him taking this, of this very different ghost story with very different ideas and, you know, remixing it through his lens in the style of the first season. That is incredibly exciting. And I am all for more great anthology-driven horror. It sounds like it's such a, such a great idea to get more cool ghost stories in front of the right audience. Well, speaking of ghosts, Liv brings us to our next story, which is Jason Reitman's Ghostbusters. Uh, Reitman, who is making a new Ghostbusters film that we've talked about on this podcast, made some comments recently which uh, got a bit of a backlash. Uh, Brad, what did he say? Yes, uh, Jason Reitman recently appeared on Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast just to chat about a variety of things, and obviously the discussion turned to uh, his new Ghostbusters project that's arriving in 2020. We're still largely in the dark about that project, but one of the things that he did say is that this would be uh, kind of a love letter to the first two movies, and he mentioned they're kind of going back to some of the old-school techniques that they used to make the original movie. He discussed about how they... For the teaser trailer, they got the original sound files for the Proton Pack, and uh, they actually shot the the teaser title at the end physically with actual letters that they uh, crafted from the original fonts and everything uh, with real smoke and stuff like that instead of creating it digitally. And when he was talking about that, he said, we're going back to some of these original techniques and quote, uh, so, that, so that we can, quote, hand the movie back to the fans. And a lot of people who uh, liked Ghostbusters answer the call and were not very pleased with the 
uh, vitriol that was being spewed by many toxic Ghostbusters fanboys um, were happy with him saying that because it sounded like he was saying that the new Ghostbusters didn't really have a place in fandom and that the people who liked it probably weren't like the fans that he was talking about. Um, that's, but Jason Reitman responded once he, uh, saw like the kind of backlash that he was getting. And he, so he tweeted last night, he said, Whoa, he's like, that came out wrong. He's like, I have nothing but admiration for Paul and Leslie and Kate and Melissa and Kristen and the bravery with which they made Ghostbusters 2016. They expanded the universe and made an amazing movie. And if that sounds just like damage control, uh, Paul Feig offered his full support as, as well, uh, because they actually have a history and Feig said on Twitter, Jason was a supporter of mine at a time when I couldn't get movies made. He's always been a true gentleman to me and a supporter of Ghostbusters. Answer the call. I can't wait to see his take on the Ghostbusters universe. Big love and respect to you, Jason, your fan, Paul. Um, so for me, from my perspective, this feels like this was kind of a quote that got taken a little bit out of context and really people kind of ran with it and took it the wrong way. Granted, it's not phrased uh, the best way, but... This basically echoes what Jason Reitman originally said when the movie was first announced. Because when that project surfaced, he told Entertainment Weekly, I have so much respect for what Paul created with those brilliant actresses and would love to see more stories from them. However, this new movie will follow the trajectory of the original film. So when he says that he's giving it back to the fans, he's saying he's giving it back to the fans of the original two movies. And that's that really, he's just that's just a fact. Because Ghostbusters Answer the Call made it a point to separate itself from the original franchise. It, it's a reboot there's no direct narrative connection to the movies. There are fun references and Easter eggs and cameos from the original cast, but that's it. So when he says he's get, giving it back to the fans, he's talking about people who love the original two movies since they're separated from each other. So I don't think he meant it to be malicious in any way. Uh, you know, I mean, Ivan Reitman produced the new Ghostbusters, and I just I, I feel like that there's there's a lot of bad blood between the worst part of Ghostbusters fandom and people who like the new Ghostbusters, and I feel like. Everyone just kind of needs to relax um, and just let the terrible Ghostbusters fans eat themselves and be awful, and then and just let this new Ghostbusters movie move forward and let the the other new Ghostbusters movie still exist and you know be its own thing. Yeah, it. Uh, the, the last time I saw Jason Reitman was actually at the the premiere for the new Ghostbusters, where he was. Uh, very enthusiastic about it when I talked to him and he brought me over to his father and it was like, just tell him what you think. And I was like, uh, the 3d was good. Yeah. I, I don't think he's talking. This is, I, I think there's also another element here, Brad, I think, and we don't know this, but we know that the characters in this new movie are young people. Uh, it seems like they're kind of taking a stranger things take to this. And I wouldn't be surprised if these people are, Ghostbusters fans, do you know what I mean? Like that, right. that they're picking. I, I, I think maybe the comment is about that, and maybe that's just me reading too much into it. Um, but I think you're right. It, it sucks because so many people were were upset that when this was announced, that they said that this is going to take this franchise and put it back in the original canon, and basically, you know, <clears throat> in, insinuating that they're removing the last film from the chronology but really that was the decision of ivan reitman and paul feig with that last film do you know what i mean like like you can't have it in the same chronology because they decided to put it in this totally different world where the characters or the actors in ghostbusters play different characters like it just there's no way to i mean well there is a way you wrote about it on the site at one point with like alternate 
dimensions. But, like, I don't know. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? Is there any way to make both people happy, the, the fans of the new Ghostbusters and the fans of the old Ghostbusters here? No, uh, fandom ruins everything, and <laughs> uh, fandom has, has effectively ruined Batman, Star Wars, and Ghostbusters. All three things I like and sometimes find myself now embarrassed to admit I like because the fandom has grown so unbearably toxic. Look, I don't think Jason Reitman meant that when he was saying this, but at the same time, I feel like he had to know he has to know about that animosity. It's not like it's a secret. I mean, the the entire cast of that Ghostbusters reboot spent like an entire year being harassed and hassled. There's no way he doesn't know about that. And there's no way saying I'm giving my film back to the fans couldn't have registered at least somewhere in his mind as a dumb thing to say. And I wish he had like issued that whatever you want to call it apology or walk back much quicker because now it just looks like like Brad it looks like damage control even though I don't think that's what he was trying to do so real uh, my, I guess my bottom line here is there's no way to make everyone happy um and I wish everyone would just calm down because I like I love the original Ghostbusters I really like the reboot and to get so like violently angry about anything like this is just ridiculous these are movies about funny people fighting ghosts. There's no reason to get this upset about this stuff. Ghostbusters is really good. I like Ghostbusters. I think Jason <laughs> Reitman uh, said, put this foot in, in his mouth, phrased this incorrectly. I just think that there's, I can't believe Ghostbusters of all things has such a toxic, bad fandom. I mean, I, I, I never understood that and I still don't. And I really hope the movie's good. And I hope that fandom will shut up. But I think Brad, Brad, and you guys put it pretty perfectly. I just, I really want to love Ghostbusters unashamedly again, and I want Jason Reitman to help me do that. Yeah. Speaking of Ghostbusters fans, um, there is a Ghostbusters fan fest that will be coming for the first time on June seventh and eighth. It is the first big Ghostbusters like convention of of its kind. Uh, it's a, a big private event that will be happening on the Sony Pictures lot. Uh, the tickets are super expensive, starting at five hundred dollars uh, for um, for for the two days that it's happening. I I think that the tickets are way overpriced, but it seems like it could be a cool event for people who are the most hardcore Ghostbusters fans, since it is actually uh, on the Sony lot, and they'll be doing a lot of cool exclusive things with some of the cast members. And I have a feeling they'll probably make some announcements about the new Ghostbusters there. Uh, we're hoping that uh, we'll be able to cover the event actually there as long as pre press credentials come through. So fingers crossed for that. Yeah. And uh, and there's also a Ghostbusters Transformers crossover comic coming out. Yes, there is. Uh, there was a for, the first thing that came about that surprised Ghostbusters and Transformers fans was uh, just before Toy Fair began. There was a new Transformers action figure that took the Ghostbusters classic vehicle, the Ecto-1, and turned it into an Autobot called the Ectotron. Uh, you can pre-order it right now at GameStop. It, the pre-orders at Hasbro Pulse are sold out. But the Transformer itself will get an introduction in a comic book miniseries by IDW, who has been running the new Ghostbusters comic book series, where the Ghostbusters will meet the Transformers and the Ecto-1 will turn into an Autobot. Um, it's supposed to start this June, and uh, there are apparently some other crossover surprises in store. 
I don't necessarily know what that means, but the the Ghostbusters in this comic book universe have previously crossed over with uh, the real Ghostbusters and uh, the new Ghostbusters and also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so there's plenty of possibilities as to what else could happen with this Transformers crossover. Maybe the new Ecto-1 will get turned into an Autobot. Maybe the Ninja Turtles van will get turned into an Autobot. Who knows? But uh, it sounds like it could be fun. And uh, I definitely want to get my hands on that Ecto-1 Transformer. <laughs> so what you're saying is this is definitely part of trans- uh, Transformers and Ghostbusters canon? Yes, abso- absolutely. <laughs> yes. I just want to add the IDW comics of Ghostbusters, Ninja Turtles, Transformers, all those are actually really good. They <laughs> so are, they're seriously so good. As silly as it sounds, these comics are crafted with so much care and love, and they really expand upon people like about these characters in in ways that are, are surprising. I'm not, I'm not even nostalgic for like Ninja Turtles and Transformers, and I like these comics. So this is actually going to be something that could be worth looking out looking out for. Cool. Okay, let's move on to our last story. This is something that hit yesterday, I think, after the podcast was recorded. A Hulk Hogan biopic is in the works with Chris Hemsworth ready to step in the ring for director Todd Phillips. What is going on here, Chris? Uh, Yeah, when this broke, I honestly thought it was like a joke, and I think everyone did too, because this is uh, ridiculous. Chris Hemsworth will play Hulk Hogan for Todd Phillips, the director of the Hangover films and, of course, the new Joker movie, and it's it's going to Netflix. Uh, All this, all this sounds very strange. Bradley Cooper is one of the producers. Everything about this story is like, really, is this really happening? Um, Of course, everyone knows who Hulk Hogan is. He's, you know a famous wrestler and he became huge in the, the the late 80s and the 90s and of course in the 21st century he had a lot of trouble because a sex tape came out featuring him using uh racially charged language or really just racist language and then he sued gawker and destroyed gawker and yeah. he's kind of an asshole but this film won't focus on any of that it's going to focus on his early career basically his rise to fame and I really don't know how to feel about this because, like I said, Hulk Hogan is a huge asshole, and I have a feeling they're going to make this sort of like a funny comedy where Chris Hemsworth plays him as like a likable doofus, and I really don't know how I feel about that, but it's happening. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I, I think before he became like that, all that sex tape, Gawker stuff, and like reality show nonsense. When he was doing the wrestling stuff, he, I mean, maybe wasn't as much of an asshole. So I guess like setting a comedy during that time in his life and that kind of thing could still be fun. But but yeah, it, it does seem kind of weird because Hulk Hogan's not definitely not the best person. Do, do we know this is a comedy film? Like my first impression is, you know, it's Todd Phillips. Uh, he, you know, obviously did like the Hangover films. He's a comedy director, but he's also like tried to do some more serious stuff. Like uh, the Joker film that he's working on is supposedly more of a War Dogs. Don't forget War Dogs. Yeah, War Dogs. Oh, War Dogs. That masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. There's there's nothing official that says what tone they're going for, but it's just the fact that it's him. And it's Hemsworth, who has, you know, in the in recent years proven he has like amazing comedic timing. And it seems like more often than not, the roles he gravitates towards in the recent years have all been comedic. So I'm just assuming it's going to be comedic, but maybe not. Maybe it's going to be a very serious Hulk Hogan biopic. <laughs> because I, I could see another side. I do think it is the comedy take, but I could see the other end of the spectrum where Chris Hemsworth wants to have like a transformative, 
you know, biopic performance that could be, you know, the subject of award talk like, you know, Rami Malek's uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, Maybe it could be a mix of both, too, where it's kind of like I, Tanya, where it's kind of satirical, but also dramatic. Uh, interesting here, I think, for anybody who's a wrestling fan is Eric Bischoff is a producer on this. Eric Bischoff is basically the guy that ran WCW, the biggest competitor to the WWF, WWE, I guess now, uh, it, during like the big Monday Night Wars. And he's a longtime friend of Hogan. Uh, you know, Hogan jumped ship from the Vince McMahon's organization to the WCW and he became Hollywood Hulk Hogan and, uh, you know, really, uh, helped elevate that promotion for some bit. But I, Bischoff's involvement in this as an executive producer is kind of crazy to me because much of Hogan's early story, I mean, not much. I would say most of er- Hogan's origin story takes place in WWE and not having WWE films involved here. I don't know how they're even going to have the rights to show, you know, famous WrestleMania matches against like Andre the Giant and stuff like Jacob. Like, is it even possible or are they just going to show like the behind the scenes stuff? That's a really good question. I'm reminded of all the of all these biopics that you know never really gain traction or musical biopics because they don't get the music right so it's like here's a uh here's a story about a music artist who like we don't have any of their songs it's worthless so i think the idea of making a hulk hogan movie without wwe's actual participation is i don't know i I don't want to see hulk hogan's home life i want to see his home life juxtaposed to his actions in the ring that's that's what's interesting about wrestling and and seeing, uh, you know, where the where the reality lines between reality and fantasy blur, who was Hulk Hogan really? That's a question worth pursuing in a drama and a comedy. I would like to see that, but I, I and Peter, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I know that when all the Hulk Hogan stuff went down with the racist comments, I believe WWE like stopped doing Hulk Hogan merchandise. Uh, oh, they they, they they kicked him out of the federation, and yeah. they he was part of the um, the Hall of Fame. They they kicked him out of the Hall of Fame. Of wrestling yeah, and, and Vince McMahon is who runs WWE is a famously vindictive, unhinged guy. Yeah. So him not being involved means that as him him declare war in this movie. <laughs> so I'm I'm very very curious to see what they can and can't get because without Vince on board, they don't get WWE. With WWE, this can't be a complete portrait of. Hulk Hogan as, you know, a real man and as a character, comedy or not. And that, that's how he makes the movie even remotely compelling. Maybe this will be like that time in 30 Rock when Jenna Maroney had to make a Janis Joplin movie, but they had to call it Jackie Jormp Jump. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get we'll get like a, a, a Hark Hogan movie and he'll be like a boxer. And like he, he he calls everybody sister and he's like not Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> he tells them to eat their... I don't know what's substitute uh, supplements instead of vitamins. There you go. Yeah. Um, what's the chances that this movie is going to be called Hulkamania? Uh, that seems very likely. Yeah, very good. Or Mister Nanny, the true story. W- what if? What if it is the comedy take <laughs> of this? And what if they instead go for based on Hulk Hogan's famous theme song? It's called "I Am a Real American." What the whole movie is an adaptation of that song? I would see that. No, no, no. I'm just saying the title of the song, uh, the title of the movie, could be "I am an I am a real American." Uh, I can guarantee you that will be playing over a montage of his rise to fame for sure. 
I hope that there is an in-depth glimpse behind the scenes of the making of Suburban Commando. Hulk Hogan's film career in the 90s would be a really great segment for this movie. That's yeah. what, that is what the movie should just be about, him becoming an actor and doing like the Three Ninjas sequel and that movie where he's on the boat or whatever. <laughs> Guys, you're, you're messing this up. You're missing the potential of this. This is his origin story. The second film is Hulk enters acting. Ah, uh, it's going to be like a whole franchise yeah, for and Netflix. Then, then the third the film is him going to WCW and then the whole uh, – in that the whole – The Gawker thing. Yeah. yeah. The whole film was just a sex tape recreated beat for beat with Chris well, Hemsworth. Haven't they been trying to make like that a movie about the Gawker scandal? I feel like there was like four different movies in the works, so yeah, maybe, maybe these are all connected. Maybe at the end of the first Hulk movie, Vince McMahon shows up and he says, I'm putting a team together. <laughs> Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find all the articles we mentioned today in the show notes and on the website. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And please go write and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.